Welcome to Adulting Therapists, a podcast where two Portland therapist friends discuss what it's like to be a therapist, what we do to take care of ourselves, and meet with special guests to talk about mental health issues, stigma, and more. I'm Emily. And I'm Corey. And we're Adulting Adulting Therapists. Hello. Hi. Hey. <laughs> so we have a very special guest amidst us today. Woo-hoo. And it's not just Feist, but she's here too. <laughs> yeah, Feist is here too. Uh, but we have Julia Ricciardi here. Or Ricciardi? Hey. I don't know. How are you pronouncing it this days, <laughs> these days? Ricciardi. 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 Uh, so, so Julia is uh, probably like one of my oldest friends, actually. Yep. Good old pre-fifth grade summer. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. We actually, we met at um, a Walgreens. Rite Aid, actually. Oh, it was a Rite Aid. Rite Aid. Sorry, my mistake. I don't think the Rite Aid exists anymore, though. You're I think right. I something else now. I think it's just, you're totally right. It was the Rite Aid, not the, the Walgreens. What was I think In the middle. Yeah. yeah. I got really excited when you said Walgreens, because I really like Walgreens. And <laughs> you said Rite Aid, and I was like, oh, never mind. Emily and I were both like nine or ten at the time, and our parents took us there for back to school shopping. And the moms struck up a great conversation, (laughs) as moms do awkwardly (laughs) in drugstores. And And we were like, we don't have the social (laughs) skills to be able to maintain this interaction. (laughs) (laughs) And the friendship was born. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What, like uh, 20 years later? Here we are. Yeah. Pretty wild. Wild. Mm-hmm. Wild. Well, that is not why Julia is here to talk no. to us today. As much as I'm sure everyone would love to hear stories of me being an awkward adolescent. Please. <laughs> That'll have to be a separate <laughs> few episodes. I want an entire podcast about that. <laughs> Just like separate entirely. Just stories. Just stories of Great. I'm happy to provide that. <laughs> Right in, right in if that's what you yeah. guys want. And we'll that's start really why you're listening, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Not the, the least adulting therapists. <laughs> there are definitely some good theater cast parties that oh. are rich with adolescent stories. stories. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. And just like, like, you know, me and Julia used to hang out at Ikea a lot. <laughs> if that tells you about whatever social lives were like. In I mean, I'm after, not even surprised. After our, <laughs> after our roller skating lessons. Yeah, yeah. We'd go, roller you would skating. literally go to Skate King, if anyone's familiar. Uh, ra- raise your hand <laughs> if, if you've been to Skate King in Bellevue, Washington. Uh, but we would like legit go to like skate, like inline skating lessons like I'm every so Saturday. jealous of your childhood <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty great it was it was really good but that's like i said not why mm. she's here today but uh julia do you want to tell us a little bit about your project and what you're doing yeah so i'm creating a project called social justice snack time and it's kind of a combination between a book club, a workout, and a potluck. And the idea is that groups of people get together, like it could be, you know, five of your friends or some neighbors or some coworkers get together and have meaningful conversations about race and racism. Sounds With- awesome. I I think it's not yeah. a bad idea. <laughs> I think it's not a bad idea either. <laughs> yeah, it seems really cool i mean i love to eat i love to exercise i like hanging out with my friends 
And I like talking about dismantling white supremacy. Woo! Nice. <laughs> well, this would be a perfect project for you. <laughs> the And what, I mean, the idea with this project in particular is to get white folks together talking about race and racism and have other people who are white start to own our own complicit nature in white supremacy and most of us aren't you know normally like walking around day to day being overtly violent Mm -hmm. but we all of us who are white participate in that system to some extent unknowingly or you know with a lack of awareness and so social justice snack time is designed to just be like this ongoing space where you can devote your attention to learning about racism learning about the history of anti-blackness in particular anti um, native laws and processes in our country and and collaborate with your friends and neighbors to figure out how do we deal with this yeah awesome sounds great (laughs) tell us more (laughs) how does that so is there like a specific structure that like people could participate in or like how do how do people get involved yeah so people can reach out to me directly or maybe i can give you some links you can throw up wherever you throw up the podcast thing oh we throw up everywhere (laughs) 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 But basically, I'm, like, in the process of creating session outlines for each session um, as a starting point. But it wouldn't have to stop there, right? People could kind of take this project on and create it their own Mm -hmm. way. But each session, there's either a video or short article that everyone watches or reads. So that's kind of like the book club piece of it. And then a set of discussion questions um, and kind of some part of it is having people in the course of these sessions moving through the different stages of kind of processing anti-racism and moving towards justice and liberation so in the beginning the videos and articles are kind of foundational skill setting so the first session is actually on white saviorism Mm. because to me I think one of the first things that shows up when you have a bunch of white people talking about racism is like that white saviorism. Like we're so good. Mm-hmm. Look at us in this room together talking about it. <laughs> yeah. We can't possibly be participating in the system. Can we? I hope someone gives us donuts. Yeah. Good work. Yeah. I get good white people points for this. Right. right? right. Yeah. It's me think of like the dudes on Tinder who say that they're like feminists and then like creep. Yeah. 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 It's like, get out of here, Adam. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Or like, (laughs) Adam, do you have a personal vendetta against Adam? (laughs) I don't even know if I know an Adam, to be honest. Yeah, no, I'm queer and I feel that mm-hmm. same way at like queer event, like at Pride. And you're like, okay, this straight person feels like so proud of this. <laughs> we're coming to Pride, but also we're not in a zoo. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a, a lot of people have asked me like why mm-hmm. I'm encouraging these conversations to be for white people. And I definitely would not tell a person of color that they can't come. They should feel welcome to attend these conversations if they want. But I think you touch on a good point, which is that 
a lot of times when we're looking at some aspect of our own privilege, we inadvertently say things that are really harmful. Mm -hmm. And I've done a lot of facilitation and training with large groups of people around racism and unconscious bias and trans and LGBTQ issues. And almost every time I've been either facilitating or participating in a workshop like that, there are people of color or people from some marginalized background who are like, this was traumatic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And so I think it's important that we have those, you know, multicultural conversations. I think they're critical, but I think it's also important for those of us who carry privilege in the world to take some time where we're specifically dedicating ourselves to understanding and undoing Mm -hmm. that privilege in a way that creates the least amount of overt harm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. And like, we were kind of talking about this before we started recording, but like, I think like, you know, there's so much, like there's a huge wealth of knowledge and resources out there for people to find a lot of this information Mm -hmm. on their own without having to like make other people feel uncomfortable or like ask the wrong questions or like, be inappropriate in one way or another. And I think it's like all of our responsibilities to like educate ourselves around uh, experiences of people that like we aren't, you know? Yeah. 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 And like why I'm so excited to talk about this on your podcast about mental health is that I think a lot of times people like I didn't know this myself and I'm just now starting to learn it. But like, I think we don't always know how race impacts mental health. Sure. But I've been yeah. reading recently about some old white guy at the time of slavery literally said that when slaves were trying to escape their plantations, that that was a form of mental illness. Whoa. And he, <laughs> and he was like, oh yeah, they're deranged or something. Whoa. I'll have to see if I can find the quote. But that's like, whoa. <laughs> But white supremacy <laughs> has throughout all of time been used in that way. Sure. I and mean, even the concept of yeah. race and all of that stuff mm-hmm. of measuring skulls and noses and mm-hmm. whatever to prove inferiority. And and I don't know if you all practicing in Portland see any of those current and direct intersections mm-hmm. of race and mental health. But there's this long history of sort of describing behaviors of other races as... Mm-hmm an illness Mm -hmm. of some sort or failing to diagnose and recognize things. Right. So like PTSD Mm -hmm. can come from just the experience of being a person of color. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Uh, But that kind of PTSD probably looks differently than the sort of PTSD that presents like from someone coming back from war. And so if we're looking at all of life through a white perspective, we're going to miss those nuances definitely and I think one really awesome resource that's popped up here in Portland is Therapy Den and Mm -hmm. Portland Therapy Center Um, those are both like they're um, like equitable search engines for therapists basically and they even have areas where you can search for therapists that are competent in like dealing with like racial inequities and like so we have a great I think we have a good community of people that are really aware Um, but I think that you know, I know like just from seeing like our network of therapists develop, there's a huge lack of um, 
therapists who identify as people of color. Yeah, it's been um, a consistent issue. I mean, in the therapist community, but specifically in Portland, because if yeah. you don't know, we're broadcasting from Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon is one of the whitest, whitest places in the places. world. <laughs> um, with yeah. a long history of white supremacy and white mm-hmm. nationalism in Oregon. And so I think it's a really prevalent issue here in Portland that we just don't have enough therapists of color, therapists who really understand how to support um, folks going through this, folks who are dealing with this trauma daily, who are carrying around this burden of having to hold people working out their shit when it's like, I think you could probably put your shit somewhere else Mm -hmm. and not on this (laughs) person who's just trying to have their day. Um, And that, yeah, we don't have enough, we don't have enough therapists of color here in Portland. Yeah. And like in Portland, I'm sure that trauma of like, you know, like like you were saying, like being the only person of color in a conversation about race. Yeah. You know, like that feels like inherently traumatizing to me. Like if, you know, I've been in situations where I've been the only person who identifies as queer, you know, in a group of people talking about queerness. And I've been like, uh, uh. you know, like, like I, I just want to argue with everybody or nobody or maybe I'll just leave. And like, I can't imagine like what it's like. Because Portland, like, we consider ourselves to be so liberal, so educated, you know, like, as a community, we think that we should get it. And I think that people don't, um, they don't have as much of, like, a wondering or, like, a information-seeking attitude because a lot of people here think that they, like, get it or think that they understand. Yeah. You know? They're enlightened enough. Yeah. You deal with that a lot in Seattle as well, which is where I live now. And um, Seattle is one of the most segregated cities in the country. And I think one of the things that's um, really important when we're talking about race and trauma and mental health and community care is to actually understand the real history. And I think it's too easy for people to just be like, oh, well, you know, Barack Obama's president. Yeah, we know that, like, what Trump is doing is awful. But we've, we've like, made progress. You know, we had this yeah. black president. Sure. Or, oh, like, I think in day-to-day situations, things are fine. But I think what's oftentimes missed in that is in places like Seattle, like, literally the city is on occupied tribal land from a tribe that has been denied federal recognition. Yeah. And for people who are of that culture, of that identity or have some connection to it, anywhere they could be in life could be a reminder Mm -hmm. of that generational trauma or that generational harm or violence. And then on top of it, you know, Seattle was redlined, meaning that there were certain parts of the city where it was illegal for people of color to own land or to rent Mm -hmm. homes um which is why in a lot of cities in the u.s you see such stark racial segregation between neighborhoods because of like actual laws as well as mortgage lending practices and that kind of thing and i think so much of the time people don't we don't learn that history in schools, mm-hmm. right? That's not taught in like PNW history or whatever, like in yeah. high school. Yeah. No. Oh my gosh. I just came across this website. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's like U S sundown towns. Um, like it's like a website that 
plug it like it's taken all of like the historical like legislation that was in place in order to prevent like people of color from living in certain areas and mm. it's just compiled all of like the legal documentation um and i didn't know this at all but like in the late 1800s like oregon had a law that said that people of color couldn't be uh between the borders of oregon after dark what yeah so so in order to uh, for a person of color to be in Oregon, they would need to travel through Oregon and reach an, another border bef- before nightfall. What? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not surprised, but I'm mm-hmm. surprised. Yeah, and, like, it's crazy. I mean, it's really cool. The The website itself has a lot more information than just, like, um, like African-American people experiences here in, in uh, Oregon or, you know, nationwide or whatever. There's a lot more... Uh, laws against Asian Americans than I had ever mm. thought. Like I, I never, you know, like that's like when I think of like racist legislation, I'm usually thinking about like how black people have been treated. And it was huge, like mind expanding information for me in regards to like how, um, you know, Asian Americans were treated like during world world war two. Like mm-hmm. I think um, I looked up like all the cities that I've lived in to like check out all of the different legislature and I think every city that I've lived in has had laws specifically against Asian Americans. Wow. In addition to black people and other people of color. But I was like, wow, like I didn't realize that that was such a thing. Um, I think, yeah, there's like all the overt language. And then Corey, before we hopped on, you were bringing up obviously the really tragic shootings in New Zealand, which there's also legislation like how we treat semi-automatic guns in this country. That's the specific wording of the law is not directly race related, but that it reinforces white supremacy in terms of, I don't, I don't even know what to say about (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah. It's something that we, I, I kind of briefly brought up right as like literally right before we turned this on we were like, Oh God. Um, (laughs) I don't think, any of us have really processed fully what's what's just happened and um, really had time to digest it. But I think it's important for us to continue to explore um, as it relates to this topic of white supremacy and white nationalism, this, you know, how do we have these conversations? Because I think so many people look around and go, well, you know, I don't participate in that. How could I, I like, I don't, there's no way that I participate in that. I don't believe in those things. And I think the, the project that you're working on really points to the fact that even if you don't believe you're participating in it, you're participating in it because it's the culture that we live in and because we benefit as white people from white supremacy, even if it's abhorrent and you don't want to, you do. (laughs) Yeah. And can we talk about how just saying that, like saying um, I'm not political or like, you know, it doesn't really affect me. Can we say how those are harmful, aggressive, racist acts? Because, like, I think that there's still a lot of, like, you know, nationally, we have a lot of people who are, quote, I'm, I'm using finger quotes here, are, like, relatively well-meaning people mm-hmm. who legitimately believe that uh, not participating in these conversations is something that is okay. Or that it's neutral yeah. to not be participating. Yeah, yeah. yeah. there yeah. is no neutrality. <laughs> Like, you have to pick a side, and there is only one side that is good. (laughs) (laughs) And it's interesting, too, because it's so easy for us to look back in history and be like, oh, yeah, it was 
can I swear on this yeah. podcast? Yeah, yeah. It's so easy to look back and be like, oh, it's fucked up that yeah. we interned yeah. Japanese Americans. Yeah. But we're not doing that, long that ago. same shit sure. today. Mm-hmm. We're incarcerating black people at such high levels and then blaming them for being deadbeat dads or dismantling their families or whatever mm-hmm. and acting like it's fine in a for-profit prison system. Yeah. Shit's fucked. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I am so with you that you like <laughs> cannot just walk around through life being like, oh, I'm just not, that's not my problem. Yeah. yeah. I'm not really interested in that. Like, you Tough shit. Yeah. This is the world. This is it. Mm-hmm. This is the world that we're in. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we're, as we're talking about these things and, and because this is a mental health related po- podcast, um, yeah, that it's, you know, we, we look at like what you just said with the prison system, right. And how can we not identify racism as impacting mental health and trauma when people are being taken away from their families, people are being incarcerated against, really any <laughs> rational um, logistical reason. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I'm just so worked up and mad. Um, well, it's like, but the, that, you, yeah, we yeah. talk about these things they're impacting. So I, you know, have spent most of my career working with kids and how does this not impact children and their mental health? If they're worried about their parent not being able to come home or their parent has been taken away from them. I have a question for yeah. you. Um, so I was watching the news the other day and I don't vaguely, I have the news on <laughs> and I heard a Muslim woman being interviewed talking mm-hmm. about how her, her son in regards to the shooting said, um, don't worry if someone asks me if I'm Muslim, I'll tell them no, mm. wow. I'll lie. So I'm just from your perspectives as professionals, how do you think that impacts someone's mental health or their sense of self well i mean greatly yeah (laughs) i mean i think that like you can you know pragmatically sure that kid can say like oh i'm not muslim like this does you know like yeah you know they they can use that as like literally a defense mechanism if they're being like aggressed upon but i think like they're that doesn't like um, make up for the fact that that person feels like their identity is a risk. Yeah. You know, like well, it's inherently yeah. unsafe to be who I am is what I'm, I take away from that. If I, yeah. if I feel like yeah. I have to lie about who I am or mm-hmm. my identity, my culture, my ethnicity, any of those things. And you feel like if I don't lie about it, I'm at risk. How mm-hmm. damaging is that? How traumatizing is that? You know, and I think when we talk about trauma in this way, we're not talking, like you said, about like a car accident or coming back from war or some of these big events. We're talking about these, sometimes they're big events, but it's a makeup, a, a, a conglomeration of these small microaggressions that turn, you know, if you cut someone a hundred times with a tiny little knife, it's <laughs> it's going to make up a big gash. Sure, um, sure. And that sounds like some of these things that people say, oh, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. It's it's whatever. I can just lie about this thing. Or I don't have to worry about that. Effect. But it's a cumulative. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that is passed along as well between families. And so that's that's one of the ways we get generational trauma is this these tiny pricks. Right. Mm-hmm. They add up. Yeah. It also it makes me think of I don't know if you guys have th- seen um, Black Klansmen. Not yet. New film. I'm really bad at watching. So movies. good. 
Um, but uh, Adam Driver's character um, is Jewish, and he says, you know, like being Jewish isn't that important to me. And you know, um, the the char- basically like the plot is a a black man infiltrates the KKK um, by basically using like a surrogate person to go in and like pretend to be him. It's kind of confusing to try and explain. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's this character who identifies as Jewish and he's like, I don't understand why we're getting so upset about this. Um, and, you know, the KKK are notoriously anti-Semitic. And so he's still like fighting with his identity and like his development. Like he feels like this issue, like at the start of the movie, he feels like this issue doesn't really impact him. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like kind of that same s- idea of like that that young man who like maybe his his understanding of like the impact of this identity like hasn't quite fully developed in him because he's like maybe he doesn't see like the like the how much trauma and stress it is to go through your whole lifespan with this identity like this character really needed to see it directly to see hatefulness like in in the moment like right in front of him before he was like oh shit yeah you know And then I think, like, Corey, you're talking about generational trauma. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'm asking people to do when they participate in social justice snack time is participate in some form of reparations and or donations. And there are some people who feel like reparations really only should be called reparations if they're done on a large scale and governments Mm -hmm. are paying massive amounts of money back. But I think there's a benefit to individual white people recognizing that a lot of the wealth we have yeah. is on it is ours on the basis of stolen labor and stolen mm-hmm. land. And mm-hmm. um, two things I want to say about that. One is uh, in Ta-Nehisi Coates's article about reparations and making the case for it, he references a study that was done in the 1970s estimating that it would take $34 billion at that time to make up for all of the land, property, and labor that has been stolen from Africans through slavery. And obviously we're not still enslaving people in that way, although there is modern-day slavery. Mm -hmm. Um, But... I have to imagine for families that, you know, have some last name like Smith because they don't actually know their familial mm-hmm. name or where in Africa they, their ancestors were taken from, that that's real mm-hmm. for them today on mm-hmm. some level. Yeah. And it, I mean, you can't, I know that I can't really actually understand or experience that given that I have all the privilege that I have. But when I try to think about it, like if someone had stolen my house from me when I was six or someone had stolen my parents' house from me before I was born and my parents grew up having to scrape by because a house was stolen from them, I I would want something. Mm Right? Yeah. I would yeah. want someone to atone for that in yeah, some to, like, real material way. To like balance out the scales, you know, because there's so many non material uh privileges, like non financial privileges, yeah. you know, that that people that are not of color have accumulated over the time that we've taken so much from people of color. Yeah. You know? But then I think we yeah. like expect brown and black people to be like cordial. 
And that goes you know. back to why one of the reasons that you're saying that this is a like an opportunity for white folks to really talk about these things without the the onus being on the person of color to have to explain things or to have to hold the space for people yeah. who are processing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing that I want to say, I think about that space and about this process is like, I have begun to find healing. Like it's, confr- you know, Emily, you were saying you haven't really like watched the news that much recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. It is traumatizing (laughs) to be like, to just scroll through Facebook and see all of the violence and suffering and all of it. And for myself, when I really start to look at like what, what in this whole thing can I be responsible for? Mm -hmm. What part of my privilege can I start to be responsible for and, and begin to undo or begin to, kind of reorient the way I experience the world that is like one source of healing for me so yeah so kind of speaking on to that reparations we were talking a little bit about some lots of ways that we can participate in reparations so we were talking about supporting um, you know businesses owned by people of color we were talking about reparations in terms of your snack time like Supporting black-owned businesses, supporting mm-hmm. places that your money is going directly toward folks that you you know that you want to be able to support in this way, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's sometimes it involves a little bit of research, right? Because it's not necessarily like the first thing people advertise or notice about things, but there are lots of ways that we can spend our money that don't participate in continuing white supremacy. Yeah. There's a cool organization actually here in Portland that hosted a reparations happy hour a little while ago. I don't know if either of you heard about it. The organization is called Brown Hope Mm -hmm. and they had white folks donate money. I can't remember what it was like $10 or something and held this happy hour and they requested that only people of color actually attend so that you don't get the dynamic of like (laughs) straight people kind of (laughs) talking about queerness themselves or whatever white people watching the black people have happy hour but um and they like covered their drinks and gave them all like ten dollars cash or something and it was just like designed to be like an evening that's like so obviously not making up for everything. No. Yeah, but definitely like, not. <laughs> definitely not. But it is like yeah. an uh, an opening, right? Sure. Like a new opening for yeah. a different kind of action or a different mm-hmm. kind of conversation. And like, you know, in talking about all of this, like I definitely want to, you know, bring up like a, you know, here in Portland, both Corey and I live in North Portland, mm-hmm. which is a um, historically, this is like a, a black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Like both of our neighborhoods are. Yeah. Um, and I think like, I definitely struggle here seeing gentrification happen in our city. And I'm a white person that's contributing to that gentrification by like living here. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so important for, for us here in Portland, um, maybe more so than other places even to make sure that we are patronizing black businesses, donating to, to organizations that are here to help black communities, um, supporting black artists, you know, the culture that was here long before we were here, um, that is slowly getting replaced by fucking mowberries and like food cart pods that are all run by like white people with their like fusion 
food. You know, like it's it's so <laughs> shitty. Like oh. it sucks to see because I feel like even like they're like we make our tortillas with quinoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, we had fuck like, you. That's not a tortilla. <laughs> we had like a whole for- food court or food court food cart debacle here around. Um, I think it was tight tacos. That were yeah. like these these two white women that like basically their their history on their um, menu or like website or whatever was like we're just two white women that traveled to Mexico and like <laughs> we made like this woman teach us how to make tortillas and now we're here to like sell our tacos or whatever. It's just like oh my god, <laughs> how ignorant can you be? But that's yeah. the like that is that's cringeworthy. It's but yeah, I literally. But I think the other piece of it is like. I can get how people be that ignorant because every aspect of our society and culture is set up to reinforce that. Yeah. So laws are always passed governing what's taught in schools Mm -hmm. and literally the school state standards reinforce a white supremacist view of history. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. I remember in like what junior year of high school, we started reading um, Howard Zinn. And mm-hmm. I was like, wait, why am I just learning about this shit now? Like, why do I have to, why did you teach me things? And then when I got old enough, go, okay, it's time to unlearn everything. Like, why didn't you just teach me that from the beginning? I don't understand. Yeah, like, I feel like, <laughs> like, what's more traumatizing for, for people to learn? Like, to learn just the reality of things from the beginning or to, like, think the world is entirely one way and then get traumatized when you realize that it's not that way at all. which doesn't even just start me off with the honest truth and then we can work back from there i don't know yeah which i mean and also there are people of all these identities and cultures in our schools i always find this is sort of off topic but i always find it interesting when you talk to straight adults and educators about what age should you start talking about lgbtq identities with kids And the conversation is always based on the assumption that all of the kids in school are straight <laughs> and cisgender. And yeah, we have to like reveal to them this yeah, concept. Yeah, yeah right? Oh my but gosh. like, I would not have been so fucked up in my adolescent years <laughs> yeah, if yeah. as an eight-year-old or a six-year-old, I just saw pictures mm-hmm. of women living happy adult lives yeah. in relationship. Right? Like, which is so simple. If you only know? like there was advertisements in that in that Rite Aid that were like oh, two right, women yeah. holding hands, maybe. Yeah. Like, oh man, we would have been different. Should we write <laughs> to Rite Aid? Yeah, let's be like you ruined our lives, Rite Aid. I agree, okay. but also just because I like Walgreens. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we should probably put a pause. We're gonna here's a quick ad, and then we'll BRB. And we're back. We're back. Yay! Do you guys remember that? Was it a, a, a dinosaur movie? We're back. Yes. That was such a good movie. I want to watch that movie. That's what right it's called, now. right? We're back. We're back. We're back. Yeah. It's like where the dinosaurs come in. They're like, haha, we were extinct, but guess what? We weren't. I don't know. There's How a lot of movies work? about this topic. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Know. I don't know that movie. Okay. <laughs> Google now. will find it and then I'll show you. Okay. And then you'll be in the know. Okay. So we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the, um, the disproportionate amount of people of color who are treated from a more punitive stance than a mental health stance. Um, and like how, how there's differences between how people of color with mental health needs are treated versus 
people that are not of color. Is there a better? Just white people. I guess it would just be white people. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't need to be like a fancy term for it. It's just I white think people. It's fine to be like not people of color. We could center the identity on. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, but we were just kind of talking um, during the break a little bit about how, um, you know, just in, in our experiences of working as therapists, mm-hmm. um, you know, like we see a disproportionate amount of people of color that are accessing higher levels of care um, than, you know, like just, you know, statistically speaking, if we have like a hospital program, say, say there's a hospital program where the majority of the people in this program are people of color here in Portland when, what is it, 4%? Of 6% are 6% black. 6% yeah. of um, people approximately or whatever here in Portland are identify as black. Um, According to the 2010 census data. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you have all these facts. Yeah. We don't usually use a lot of facts. <laughs> um, but God, what a huge uh, discrepancy. Mm-hmm. If there's yeah. so many people that are being put in higher, of level, higher levels of care that are people of color versus... And I th- one of the things that we were talking about is um, having both had some experience working in the schools mm-hmm. um, that we can see a lot of this like higher levels of punitive reactions towards children of color than to um, children not of color and how that plays out. And like, as we were talking about this modern day slavery in terms of the mm-hmm. for profit prison system and how you can kind of see this pipeline from such a young age um, of just like. That acting out behavior is inappropriate and must stop. That acting out behavior, oh, you must be sad. Let's talk about coping skills. And it's like, what, what, what? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, just thinking back on, so I worked in a behavioral school for a while. Mm -hmm. Also disproportionate amount of people of color in that program. And I don't think it's because their behaviors were so much more extreme. You know, like, and I want to make sure that this is not coming across as just a Portland problem. Like, and I'll find the article. I think it was in the Atlantic, but it was looking at a nationwide study Mm -hmm. showing that the most common demographic of students to be suspended were fourth grade black girls. Wow. (laughs) And you're just like, for what? what? (laughs) What's a fourth grade girl doing that they need to be suspended about? Like in general, I was, probably a really sassy fourth grader who'd never got more than a talking to. Sure. I'm curious in your, like either in your undergrad degrees or graduate degrees or continuing Mm -hmm. education, do y'all learn about or talk about unconscious bias and like the mental schema? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Corey and I went to Lewis and Clark college here in Portland, which is known for its social justice atmosphere Mm -hmm. you know like like uh i i will say like that i feel like my education at lewis and clark was kind of a little bit of an outdated social Mm -hmm. justice or feminist perspective in a lot of respects like i think that there was a lot i guess this is like story for another day but um you know very well-meaning program we did talk about conscious unconscious bias and um all that type of stuff yeah from from my understanding, and I'm not like an expert in the brain, but it's like, you know, our brains are hardwired to categorize things, mm-hmm. which for human evolution is highly valuable. Yeah. It's what allows us to look at a chair 
that looks unlike any other chair that we've ever seen and recognize it as something to sit on. I mm-hmm. literally did a study about this in my <laughs> undergrad. Oh, okay. <laughs> you that chair? About, about ba- uh, babies' brains, how they perceive things and that they can tell um, an object, even if it doesn't look like an object, that they start to the categorization process very early. Yeah, and like dogs, right? Like dogs look all these different ways, but we mm-hmm. can still, once we know enough of different types of things that mm-hmm. fit into the exactly. category of dog, we can fit it in. That's really interesting. Have you seen the studies that show kids start recognizing racial differences and actually have like a racist lens as early as like two to three years old. Wow. No, I don't think I've read. I haven't I'll kept up on the dig up the data that. on that so much. But um, it would fit. It's not surprising. That. Yeah, it's yeah. not surprising. Yeah. So because I mean, it's again, it's like these things that we've we learn. And so one of the things that we did in our research, um, it wasn't my research. I was just doing it for somebody else. <laughs> um, but one of the things that we correlated it with was vocabulary and how much things are being talked about. Um, and so that would make sense that if, if there's these biases developing at quite a young age that, you know, one of the things that we've, mm-hmm. we've talked about is where do people learn this from? Where do we learn these things? Yeah. But it's like, yeah, you pick it up from vocabulary yeah. and media and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But then it's like those categories are hardwired into your brain. And so if you're starting at two, three years old, getting a hardwired picture mm-hmm. of people with this sca- skin color fit into these categories, then fast forward 30 years and you're in a school or you're an educator or you're a medical care provider or your police officer mm-hmm. and literally then you're having to fight against the hardwiring of your brain which is automatically categorizing mm-hmm. you were talking i don't know if you want to share your example about the kids i don't even know if you can but <laughs> um how even within a family kids with different skin tones will are be treated re- differently yeah. 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 yeah yeah or like their behaviors will be interpreted mm-hmm. they could have the same behaviors and maybe one it's oh she's just really sad and maybe for the other one it's like he's really angry yeah and it's like oh same behavior same, same thing yeah, yeah. but yeah. It, but it's like the brain is matching that sure. to a yes. predetermined sure. yeah. yeah yeah and couple that i mean i know here in oregon there's certainly a lot of unconscious bias and i would also argue that there's a ton of conscious bias mm-hmm. like we have a state where most of our rural areas are pretty red um which you know it's a great color looks good on me not a great political stance in my opinion <laughs> uh but, yeah, like, we have tons of kids that are raised with, um, you know, conscious bias. Like, mm-hmm. in our rural areas, we have a huge population of people who are openly uh, racist, openly anti-Semitic, mm-hmm. openly anti-LGBTQ. Like, our state is really scary when you get outside of our city. It can be, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we have... we. Portland just suffered through like a string of hate crimes yeah. that went underreported and not taken seriously by our police officers. Well, because our police have been found to be to have in connections to oh with God, racist white groups. nationalist groups. So upsetting. Do y'all know the origin of policing in the United States? Uh, the guy with the biggest stick. <laughs> 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 they were the early. Police forces grew out of bands of people catching escaped slaves. (gasps) Okay. I didn't know that, but again, 
Not surprised. Great. We have so much trash that we've built our nation on. <laughs> we are a trash island. <laughs> I'm really good at lightening the mood with <laughs> very exciting topics like yeah. slavery, genocide, and <laughs> mass incarceration. I but mean, there are important things that we need to talk about. And I think, it, again, like when we're when we're having these conversations, it's so important to look at how systemically we don't even think about where these things came from. We're just like, oh, we have these systems put in place and like. Why would we change them? They've always worked. Where did they fucking come from? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like to me, like working with younger people, at least that are in predominantly liberal communities, like it seems as though the messages to deprogram are coming earlier and earlier. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited yeah. to see what like future generations are going to look like. I remember during my grad program, um, I did like a. Uh, it was like a anti-bullying group basically for like entering sixth grade boys Mm -hmm. and it was such a blast Um, but one of the things I was like I'm ready to like blow their brains apart and I come in with this like curriculum on gender and I was like we're gonna talk about gender today and you know they like they are already all knew what I was coming they were like yeah yeah we know Mm -hmm. like there aren't two genders like we get it like get out of here you know like (laughs) grandma Yeah, like I like they probably had more information than I did. And they were like sixth grade boys. Like, I certainly do not remember sixth grade boys when we were growing up having any sense at all. Nope. (laughs) Uh. Let me tell you about growing up in the Midwest. (laughs) Where are you from? I'm from Chicago. Chicago. I like deep dish pizza. Is that your Chicago accent? Yeah, it's a really bad one. We, need, we haven't talked about it it's recently, <laughs> but it's bad. <laughs> it's not really a Chicago accent. It's more like me being Nick from New Girl, like pretending Got to it. be, what was it, Julius Pepperwood? Oh, I don't whatever. watch that show. Okay, whatever. But he's like, hey, I'm from Chicago. He goes to sleep Jess's writing class. Okay, I'm just like, I'm, I'm popping out so many references today that no one else seems to know. And usually I'm the one who doesn't know, so... <laughs> Um, what a great experience! But the deep this dish pizza one was real. Yeah, yeah. I want a Philly dog. This what? This or no, wait, hold on. That's not a Chicago like <laughs> trope. A Chicago dog. It's a Chicago okay, I got dog. Confused. Chicago dog. Yeah, yeah. I know what a Chicago dog. dog is. It's just like well, I don't either because I've never even hot dogs. It has but like peppers. It's like got all tomatoes, the shit on it. Onions. Okay, I'm just thinking of a Philly cheese and relish. <laughs> it's all Philadelphia. No. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not from Philadelphia. I've actually never been to Philadelphia. I know those places are different. (laughs) Okay, we should probably switch to our last topic. Or no, wait, hold on. One, sorry. Just doubling back. I know we've talked about this before on other episodes, but I want to uh, reaffirm that therapists cannot be neutral when it comes to racism, um, any sort of like prejudice or oppression of other people because we are like we are social workers we work with people and it's our job to educate and to be on the right side of history and to not act in ways that might hurt or i mean our literally uh, we're do no harm yeah and so we cannot participate in continuing to not talk about um, mm-hmm. things that are actively doing harm to the folks that we serve and the people that we care about. And historically, this is not a role that therapists were allowed to play. And I think even to this day, it's not a role that many therapists will participate in. 
well, the that. role of yeah. causing justice. And yeah. Justice yeah. yeah. Well, it's just, it's, but you know, we've, t- we talk about this a lot in our podcast that therapists are supposed to be quiet about who they are and their beliefs and, um, Oh, like kind of just like neutral. Like slate, slate, um, you know? and that mm-hmm. in this day and age, that's pretty impossible because you can Google us. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> I Googled myself the other day and I was like, Oh, no shit. Okay. Um, what did you find? I found. Oh, maybe I found you some stuff. Tell us. No, it's nothing. I care. It's not. It's fine. You guys can mm-hmm. Google me. I don't care. Um, you're gonna find my website, and you're gonna find this, and you're gonna find some other stuff. Corey commenting on videos of jam bands, being <laughs> like, "Play on, play on." It's <laughs> literally what you're gonna find. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, you're gonna find some other stuff. But um, no, but like we can't say we don't we don't stay silent in these things because we're not in the era in which one that's feasible, like trying to completely make yourself a blank slate Two, it's not appropriate nor helpful. Like we need to be activists in facilitating these conversations and facilitating change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like how could we be a good therapist for a person of color if like they didn't know that we were there to like advocate for their livelihoods, you know? I think the other thing is like, Maybe it's not about you specifically being a good therapist for people of color. Maybe it's about ensuring that there are enough therapists of yeah. color to do yes. that. Yes. But yes, yes, yes. how do I, what, where I come from in my life is like, how do I be a white person that has other people, other white people empowered to deal with mm-hmm. their part in racism? Yeah. Sure. And I think that's, it may not come up directly in those words in your interaction with mm-hmm. people but we're all we're all in this we're mm-hmm. all in yeah. the system of oppression and dealing with it and trying to make our way and sure. so i think anyone that you're interacting with regardless of their race you can or other identities be looking for how to support justice or liberation yeah. or that kind of sure. thing sure definitely definitely great I didn't mean to no, you're no, you're right on. You're I mean, like, you I, know, and, and that's I think what these those, topics those are conversations for. do come up a lot, yeah, too. Like, I think that it it scares me to think of what therapy may have been like five to ten years ago. Like, for people kind of like processing and like coming to terms for with the systems of oppression that are present in our society. Yeah, because I think that like we were taught to have some kind of modicum of understanding around these things, and it does come up a lot. You mm-hmm. know, like comes up Absolutely. a lot mm-hmm. yeah um but, okay uh so our last topic i'm so excited about yeah. this yeah. topic because <laughs> i like get to learn what you're <laughs> you'll just have to drop in a fact about slavery about how it connects <laughs> <laughs> if there is one uh, yeah okay <laughs> okay so there was a question on on instagram about um <laughs> Is that the it's academic a Philly version? dog? Yeah. I don't know. Okay, is Instagram the <laughs> academic version? Of yeah, Insta? yeah, oh, yes. okay. the peer reviewed yeah. <laughs> posts, uh, <laughs> science, evidence based, evidence based yeah. Instagram posts. Yeah. Uh, so the the question that was posed was, how do we as therapists deal with transference? Um, so there's kind of two segments to that question in my mind because transference mostly pertains at least in my mind, to the, the type of feelings that might come up uh, from a client like toward to a, you to a therapist. Yeah. Um, so like 
if uh, you remind your client of their parent or mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. they went to school with that bothers them or, you know, things that you have no control over necessarily. Right, um, so kind of like that projection that yeah, happens. Like, yeah. oh, you're kind of acting like my mom. Like, maybe I'm going to start having feelings towards you that I might have Or maybe like when I need to cancel an appointment, mm-hmm. it's taken in a much different way than intended because it's like you're leaving me. My mom always canceled last minute too. You know, right. like, what? Where'd that come from? I'm not mm-hmm. your mom. <laughs> so There's us all these feelings and I don't know where <laughs> they came from. <laughs> right. So I think like when, when those things come up and I feel like it's less so that those things come up in a very conscious way. Yeah. Like I, I notice it more like, um, you know, like if I'm saying something like relatively neutral and it's coming off in like a very different way than what I meant, mm-hmm. I'm usually kind of like, huh, there's something to like talk about or to connect with about that. But I feel like it's pretty rare that clients are like, hey, you remind me of like, like you remind me of someone that I hate yeah. and that makes me like hate they, you. Like they're not, it's not like clear and obvious. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. oh, I noticed that <laughs> why I'm having such a strong emotional reaction is because I'm acting like you're my mom. Yes. It's not like that. <laughs> no. Okay. No. Not my Not experience. usually. Not yet. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, but we, I mean, I think that's, that's one form of it. But the other thing that we, we talk a lot about as therapists is countertransference. Um, because we are mm-hmm. taught from the very beginning how to manage this, which is kind of the same, same, but different, which is when we feel like our clients are reminding us of somebody in our lives or we're having experiences about them or feelings about them that are not necessarily what is mm-hmm. accurate or what's put out there or really in the control of the other person. So mm-hmm. these are things like, oh, gosh, that's that's exactly what my mom would have said right now. And you kind of look like her, so I'm having a hard time yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> being this blank slate I'm supposed to be and holding your stuffs. I don't know <laughs> if I'm just, like, getting to that age where, like, I've met a lot of people, but sometimes I feel like a client comes in and I'm like, you look exactly like someone I know. Like, has that happened to you before? Yeah. And I'm just like, like, sometimes it takes me, like, a couple minutes or a couple, like, like, I'll have to check in with myself, like, throughout the session and be like, no, 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 it's not them. <laughs> you know, like, has that ever happened to you? Is that, yeah. like, nuts? I don't know. No, I have um, I have had a few experiences of people who, uh, not looking anything like somebody like else I know, but just remind, like yeah, sounding or, or using some of the yeah. same characteristics or mm-hmm. behaviors, and you're just like, okay, but you're not that person. Like, mm-hmm. and it's all positive feelings, like, um... I was thinking of one recently. It was like, you just remind me a lot of my cousin. Like, love my cousin. All of this is very positive, but reminding myself, like, they were not going to understand that joke because they are not that person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's super interesting. Like, I find myself always needing to get, like, extra supervision or mm-hmm. support, like, from colleagues or supervisors, like, when that happens, because I already noticed that, like, I'm not being as, like, objective or neutral yeah. as I might yeah. be. And I think it goes mm-hmm. to, like, this, these unconscious things that we do, these unconscious processes, if somebody reminds you of somebody or somebody is activating part of you that is thinking about um, another relationship or another experience that you've been in and they have no idea what's coming up and we have to really be aware of how we're unconsciously bringing that into the room. And so if somebody says something and it has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on, but in your mind you're like, oh, I'm feeling all sorts of things. It's like, Supervision. Sure, consultation sure. find support talk that out somewhere else that is not putting that on your client because they didn't know 
They sure. have no idea that mm-hmm. maybe the Or even if they knew or had a sniff of it, like they're not gonna be the one to sort yeah. it out with. Well they're you, not responsible right? for it. It's right, your yeah. shit to yeah, deal yeah. with. And it's really important that, you know, um, as therapists that we go, huh, my shit got tickled. I gotta figure out what to do with that shit. <laughs> shit got tickled. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how I feel about like kind of transference. It's like it's a little tickle. Like it's wait, what? Oh my gosh, I gotta do something. I have a feeling. Uh, Yeah, I have an emotion. What is emotion? What do I do with that? What are emotions? Can I tell you guys a funny story? Yeah. Okay. So one time I was in a meeting. This was Mm -hmm. like many many years ago Mm -hmm. um, at a um, residential facility I used to work at, and we were talking about countertransference, and I was. I was like, I'm not going to lie, about half asleep. I was so tired and out of it and like overworked. And this was like, you know, maybe hour 10 of a 12 hour shift I shouldn't have had. And <laughs> we were talking. Uh, on, on the societal level, we really do not thank and appreciate <laughs> our mental health workers <laughs> and social workers <laughs> nearly enough. So True. I apologize on behalf of all of the people who do not provide that kind of care <laughs> that you were even in that situation. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, I feel so hurt. I do. Yeah. Like, so you're in the meeting. So yeah. in the meet- well, I, sometimes we talk about these things and I like, they're all normal to me. And then I look, I look at someone else and they're like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, oh, yeah. So isn't like normal for you okay um anyway we're talking about countertransference and i i tuned in my ears go like yeah we really need to talk about how easy it is to slide over the counter on the unit and i was like went into a store launched into a story about literally (laughs) jumping over the counter and everyone was just looking at me and i was like oh wait what what are we talking (laughs) about Oh my God! Were they talking about counter, like slipping over into counter no, no, no. transference? No. They were talking about counter, like like real literal ca- literal counter transference. And I was like, yeah, it's really easy to jump over the counters around here. <laughs> they were talking about the physical <laughs> counter. And I got so many like evil looks that my supervisor later was like, I have never been more embarrassed by you. And I was like, oh I my mean, gosh, harsh. <laughs> that is not an adequate way to deal with an exhausting. It's probably some hyperbole. Uh, no, I mean. <laughs> They were legitimately embarrassed by me. And I was like, I mean, fair, but like, mm-hmm. I but also <laughs> capitalism. Have you heard of it? That's what I would have said. I don't know. Yeah, how right? you feel that. I've That's been here for I 10 hours. Yeah. I was like, it's, it's, I think back on it fondly because I was like, yeah, that probably was so embarrassing. I was like taking up a lot of space in this conversation, talking about the counters. <laughs> <laughs> like, talking That's about so something funny. completely different, like oh my gosh. literal treatment related stuff. And I was just <laughs> like, yeah, we should like move stuff off the counters and <laughs> Are you like worried that like clients or patients would jump over the counter? Probably. It used to be an old issue that yeah, it was oh. a thing that happened. Um now well, we I mean, wall like, in the offices. <laughs> yeah, they used to, yeah. So it was like, okay, but who's not gonna walk around or jump over the counter when it's like I'm keeping the snacks back here saying you can't have snacks and you're supposed to like abide yeah. by this imaginary wall. Punitive. Like, yeah, it was sure, very punitive. Sure. Effective. Yeah, always. I was like, I'm eating chocolate sitting back here typing, and you're, I'm saying you can't have any. That's just sad. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I had a place to go with my countertransference topic, but I just thought that was a funny story. Yeah, that's now, a really good story. That's how I always remember countertransference. And, <laughs> and I think, too, like, transference or, like, countertransference is always thought of as, like, a negative experience. Like, mm-hmm. you know... Um, very high needs or acute uh, clients might 
put a lot of stress on a on a therapist, yeah. right? Like if your if your client is like actively suicidal, um, it's a high risk. It stresses people out. I think that's just like a fact of like the profession. Um, but I think like we don't talk a lot about like uh, positive feelings related to countertransference or transference. Not to say that those feelings are like good necessarily when I say it goes into the other direction of like more punitive more like stressful versus like maybe I would bend my boundaries for this person maybe I would agree to meet them at a time that I wouldn't normally Mm -hmm. agree to meet them and because I think of them in such a positive light Mm -hmm. um and I think that also bears discussion right like definitely um not showing like favoritism Mm -hmm. not demonstrating like again poor boundaries that we're trying to model like we're a safe place we're a safe person that has these boundaries for a reason um and that it's containment and oh look i demolished those because f- my own I personal you, reasons so I, you yeah. should totally do that in ro- your romantic relationship yeah. <laughs> it hasn't been working for you for yeah yeah <laughs> right? no but i think they're you know yeah it's not always like a negative thing sometimes mm-hmm. and and i think a lot of times people get scared to talk about counter-transfer and bring it up because it's, it's like some moral failing as a therapist that i had emotions about somebody that wasn't a blank slate and it's like um yeah that's just called life like living i feel, I feel like, like in, oh go ahead oh like i feel like in residential people didn't have issues talking about countertransference, but i definitely see it more like in the outpatient like yeah. where it's looked like you're looked down upon for um having negative or positive feelings about a client mm-hmm. or like around an issue yeah in the therapy room I do feel like one of the similarities between this conversation and talking about race and unconscious bias is there are certain ways that the wiring of our brain functions. And then we can feel bad about it, right? Like counter-transference is just a thing that happens. Your brain remembers other people when you see people or mm-hmm. you hear them and you could be like I feel st- <laughs> stupid <laughs> or you could just be like I'm going to be responsible what am I going to do about this and I th- I think that's a really good reminder when looking at race and racism like sure, as yeah. a white person I could feel really bad that I have racist thoughts or you could we acknowledge them and do something about them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Challenge your thoughts. Get supervision around your thoughts. Oh, that's you a know? good one. Yeah. Or like talk to a colleague or a trusted friend. I don't yeah. Know. Not someone who's going to make fun of your hometown with inappropriate and in- inaccurate It's just tricks. a Philly dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Nicholas Pepperwood. I don't know. What is his name? I don't Julius watch the show. Pepperwood? What? Come on. <laughs> You okay. sicken me. Okay. I do. I'm experiencing countertransference. I do think Zoe Dashnell is a total hottie, though. <laughs> She's a fox. <laughs> She's a fox. Real talk. Professionally, <laughs> I've diagnosed her as a fox. Professionally, I diagnosed her as a fox. That would be F code F O X dot one exclamation point. <laughs> I feel like this is too objectifying. (laughs) I didn't mean it like that. Sorry, (laughs) I take it back. Sorry, Zoe. Is she objectively good looking? Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yes. Okay. Okay. I like her little cute eyes. Okay, we gotta stop. So dorky. (laughs) At least as that character. You know who's also objectively good looking? All of the people from Vikings. (laughs) (laughs) 
both of you are accurate. I was going to say my dog, but okay. <laughs> both of you are accurate, she says. I, <laughs> yes, I feel good about myself. Also, not the show I was talking about, but the other one. I knew oh, what yeah. you were doing. Home, yeah. mm, Homeland? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Outlander. Outlander. I was yeah. thinking because you know you had just revealed your genealogy results. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. You guys want to know my, my genealogy results? It wasn't what she expected. It was not what I was. You're expecting. Viking? No. Oh. Um. My entire Let's life, I have been told I am Irish, like Irish, Irish, like oh. everyone's Irish, and maybe a little German. And I just found out that I am only thirty six percent Irish. I'm sorry. And no German. <laughs> Should we mourn? Um, I've been mourning. I've been mourning. Um, yeah. But I am a little Scandinavian that I didn't know about. Like, you know, one percent. <laughs> You're not terrified that like big data is going to do something creepy with your genetic data. Whatever. I don't know. They, don't they already have it? Don't they like have it somewhere? Sure. Hopefully, Corey didn't murder anyone. Like, <laughs> no one's coming to like find her her DNA no. sample somewhere. You know, you know what's funny is um, one of my friends shared an article about that after I got my test results, yeah. and I was like, shit, I yeah. should have thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> Too late now. Too late. Yeah. My my DNA is in the system. Corey's gonna be the next GSK. What? Golden State Killer. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Okay, I think we need to be done now. Okay, yeah. I think bye, guys. All right, bye. <laughs> See you later. Thanks for listening to Adulting Therapists. To learn more about us, you can find Emily at sprouttherapypdx.com or on Instagram at sprouttherapypdx. And you can find Corey at coreyansoncounseling.com. See you for your next session. <laughs> <laughs>